You are now listening to The Big Data View. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Hi, so my name is Aaron Banks from the Big Data Beard, and I'm joined by Corey Mitten and our special guest, Rob Ansick, who's the CTO of Power Advocate. So Rob, we met like a couple weeks ago, and I was fascinated by your platform and what your company is doing. So I just want to take some time, a little break, and if you can, before we get into the questions, can you just introduce yourself? Yeah, happy to. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at Power Advocate, uh, we are a Verisk Analytics business uh, as of January 1st. Uh, and um, yeah, I've been in this industry now for far longer than I tend to like to admit. <laughs> I've been everything from a, from a network engineer to a software developer to a software architect. Uh, done quite a bit of uh, professional consulting in my time, both in energy uh, and engineering, as well as in financial services. And uh, about a year and a half ago, was fortunate enough to uh, make acquaintances here at Power Advocate and uh, actually uh, replace the outgoing chief technology officer who was the first employee of the company. He actually retired um, wow. after 17 years here, which is just, it, it's an amazing milestone for a 140-person company when you think about that, um, you know, how long they'd been in business. And so it was you know, certainly shoes that could never be filled, but um, I've been having a blast ever since. I was going to say, that's a tough, um, your resume must have been incredibly impressive, but those are some tough shoes that you have to fill. Yeah, I try not to. I <laughs> <laughs> try to try to blaze my own trail around that. Um, yeah. That's 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 the safest way to go about it. Well, I'd uh, love to yeah. like have like a conversation one day of understanding how to even get from like where you were to being a CTO. That's, that's incredibly impressive. So it's a fun story if you ever have the time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we will make the time. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. So let's talk a little bit, though, about this um, platform that I've no heard so much about that is one of the main reasons why I really wanted to bring you on this podcast, because it's just incredible capabilities you guys have created. Yeah, so this goes, you know, this goes all the way back to the founding, and I'm not going to take you back to, to yesteryear. But, you know, essentially what we have today is what we call our energy intelligence platform. And it's, it's really six products. Um, it's a it's a you know software as a service solution that we provide to electric utility and oil and gas customers, uh, and we've got about eighty five percent of the North American market um, in electric utilities and uh, oil and gas. Uh, pretty much all of the major multinationals, none of whom I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to name here. Um, I would I would you know you know, start dropping logos left and right here. Um, but essentially what we do is we provide um, a mechanism and, and really a platform uh, for them to improve uh, the way in which uh, they are able to analyze their spend. Um, and that is um, the, their actual purchasing in materials and labor. Uh, we provide them the ability to understand that information and that data um, at a very granular level. We give them the ability to turn around uh, and actually go to market uh, and evaluate and negotiate uh, from a standpoint of, of actually having the information that's required to sit down with vendors and suppliers and have informed discussions with them uh, around what 
stuff should cost. It's really what it comes down to. And what's amazing, you know, if, if you guys are familiar with cognitive bias and, and some of the theories around that, there's a, you know, there's a very uh, interesting one, you know, known as anchoring, right? So this has been in the literature for many, many years, right? Since, since the early 70s. But essentially, if I were to throw out a number to you and then start asking you a completely random number and then start asking you a bunch of completely unrelated questions, most of your answers, which required numeric responses, most of your answers would invariably, over many questions, many answers, fall around the number that I had originally thrown out to you. Um, and so this is what's known as anchoring. It's just, it's, it's human behavior. It's just something that's sort of baked into how our brains work. Uh, and so when most organizations, even very sophisticated supply chains, um, or these large organizations go to bid, um, and request proposals from vendors, it's the vendor that set, that's setting the price, right? They're saying this is going to co cost X amount. And then they begin negotiating from that price. And what we said was that that's silly, right? <laughs> we know all of the um, pieces and parts uh, and the materials and the labor costs that go into making these things. And we know this because we've been collecting this data for the past 17 years, so what if we were to be able to provide you, our customer, with a model, uh, a cost model that, in fact, helped you uh, understand all of the commodities, uh, steel, aluminum, et cetera, as well as the labor that went into the creation of what it was that you were looking to purchase, be it a pipeline, a power plant, uh, a uh, utility pole, you name it. Um, and so once you, once a customer has that information, one, they they begin to be able to really understand where their dollars are going, first of all, right? Because we've helped them develop what's known as a, a category management strategy, which is a, uh, a, uh, you know, a, a, a supply chain term, if you will. Um, and we've provided them the ability to go through and actually see in the marketplace, what these things should cost and uh, do an analysis for them based on what other uh, utilities and oil and gas companies are also experiencing in the market. Now, of course, we do that with anonymized data, but we can very quickly provide what we would term an opportunity analysis to them to help them understand where either they have a great deal of fragmentation in their vendor base or they've got too much consolidation. And so, again, this just puts them in a much stronger negotiating position when they go to the table with their supplier and vendor. And then finally, you know, when they've gotten to the point where they've solidified favorable contracts, the other parts of the platform really allow them to then manage those contracts and manage that supplier base. So, it's, you know, when it, when I like to talk about what the energy intelligence platform is from a technology, purely from a technology perspective, business side, uh, you know, uh, business concept aside, what I really, really like to think about it is six products that if you slice them down the middle, you've got, you know, on the one hand around spend intelligence and cost intelligence, very big data, you know, uh, large data sets, um, uh, you know, uh, Focus processing. And then on the other side, when you're actually interacting with your vendors and suppliers, that's very transaction oriented. And so here we have this platform that's really both. It's a, it's a platform for bringing, um, you know, over 4,000 vendors and suppliers together with, uh, 
our customers, who who are of course the buyers, um, and it provides you know our customers a mechanism with which to fully understand one where their dollars are going, um, making sure that it's categorized appropriately, and we can talk about that in much more depth because that's really where the fun data analy- analytics is, and then also provide them with the cost models and, and what we term the the should cost analysis. What what should something cost uh, out there in the marketplace? That's very cool. I, I like hearing the, uh, the concept that this is two, it's a two-sided coin, right? You've, you've been collecting data and doing this big data thing and moving to transactional, but I want to, I want to understand, um, that when we think about any of these data driven products or solutions or tools, one of the things that's interesting to us is, is where do you get this sort of data, right? If we think about the data, you know, pipelines, how do you create data driven products? You got to start with, What's the data I have? Where does a company like Power Advocate collect and where have you been collecting over the last 17 years this this data set, right? That you it's an enormous, very valuable data set. How is it possible to have that much data? Because day one you didn't have this platform. There was some other way that you were interacting with your customers. Like how how did that happen that you came to be in possession of such powerful data sets? Yeah. So as the as the story this this time I will take you in the way back machine. So as the story goes, 17 years ago, my boss, uh, Dan Sullivan, who's the president and CEO of Power Advocate, um, and uh, the prior uh, CTO, uh, Bill Conklin, uh, were working for uh, an EPC, Energy Procurement and Construction Company, here in the Boston area. And that company was being uh, sold off. It was being bought by a by another larger EPC. And they had this data that was sitting there. And uh, they weren't going to do anything with it. And Dan, as he's passionately been since the very beginning, <laughs> going back 17 years, said, that's what's important. This application stuff and the way it's delivered, that's the piece that's going to get commoditized. It's the it's the information it's the data that's really going to distinguish our ability to differentiate and stand out in the marketplace. And so they they purchased it essentially um, from this company that was that was going out of business. And that was the ba- that was the start. That was the basis um, of this journey that we've been on. Now, since that time, as more and more uh, customers have um, uh, have signed on to our uh, offering. They give us that data. They give us their um, spend transactions uh, at a at a very uh, you know again at a, at a at a very granular level. And what's really key here is over time, you, it gains greater and greater value. And there's a couple of inputs that that allow that to be true, right? You know, the, it's easy for me to sit back and say, oh, you know, we've got. Um, you know, I think at last count, it was, you know, something on the order of, you know, between 3.7 and, and $4 trillion worth of, of, of spend data at a transaction level um, that, that's run through our systems. Um, but at the end of the day, that's almost meaningless, right? What's really required is that it's, it's, it's got to be good spend data. So what defines good, right? It's got to be complete. Which means, is it meaningful across all of the dimensions that you care about? Is it accurate? Right? Is it does it falling into the right categories? Is there the right taxonomy behind it um, in order to make sure that it's falling into the right buckets? 
Is it granular enough? And I've said that four times now, but that's really important. You know, is there enough detail there for it to be usable? And then finally, is it repeatable? Right. And so this concept of repeatability, you know, can you, can you access the data in the same way every time, uh, without additional burden? Um, it, uh, you know, are the, are really the, the, the key, you know, the, the four key areas that, uh, you know, have allowed us, yes, we have, we have amassed this, this very large fact base, um, against which we can train our models, but without, <laughs> without complete, accurate, granular, and repeatable uh, uh, processes around that, um, it would otherwise be useless. Right? It's the old garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> so you can have a lot of garbage in and a lot of garbage out. Um, and in our case, that the the focus on that um, and the and the lessons learned, uh, you know, the the concept of of big data and 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 you know, getting into machine learning and understanding algorithms and modeling is something that uh, Power Advocate, you know, as an organization, you know, has been doing for a very long time. We didn't call it that way back when. Um, and we've got lots of scars on our back. <laughs> so we can look back and say, this didn't work. And these are the reasons why it didn't work. Um, but we're at a place now where um, we feel very confident, both with a large fact base that we have, as well um, as its ability for us to be able to draw insights and actionable insights at the end of the day um, out for our customers. There, I have like 20 million questions just from that like one answer. So I'm trying to figure out which one to start with. So first off, I'm incredibly impressed that 17 years ago that they realized that the data had so much value, like immediately, like that not, you know, for all of us to start dating ourselves, but 17 years ago, that was definitely not something that I feel was a conversation that many businesses were having. So incredibly impressive that they were able to see that um, and want to start a business, you know, say like, I'll take the data. Uh, and hopefully they got it at a at a good price. But we talk about all the time about how people want to buy data from other companies. And in some cases, it has more value than the employee. So it's really great to see that that was kind of like an impact. So um, so one of the questions was obviously what was the problem that you guys were initially trying to solve and you, and you answered that, but is now you have like six products. Now my assumption is on day one, there weren't six products. Did six products kind of like come into play because as you acquired more and more data, you realized that there were new things that you could figure out or new things that you could work with. And there's new, you know, actual insights that you can get from them. Like, how did you get from the one to the six? And was it, I'm assuming that it was related to the data, but you know, feel free to prove me wrong. You know, it was, but the one thing that, you know, uh, attracted me to Power Advocate and the one thing that I'm con continuously impressed with, and I've, again, I've been in technology and in this industry a long time in building applications and, 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 you know, pitching, you know, the fit for purpose, uh, you know, of various approaches and applications. The fact of the matter is, is a lot of this has been customer driven. And, you know, a lot of times it gets, you know, that gets said, and it's sort of a toss away comment. But the fact of the matter is, um, even in, you know, the, the short time that I've been here, you know, our customers have a great deal of say uh, over uh, what it is that we build. Um, and how we build it and how we pull it together. And the fact is that, you know, when we can come to them with a value proposition and, and particularly now with our, you know, being, being part of the Veresk Analytics family and our access to so many, 
uh, additional proprietary data sources, you know, we now have this ability to sit down with them and and really talk to them about, you know, what are the problems that they're trying to solve? And of course, we've built these relationships right over these past 17 years, especially in the electric utilities market and oil and gas market, where, you know, they're very comfortable coming to us and saying, you know, this is what we're trying to figure out how to do, right? How, you know, how can we um, you know, better position ourselves to do anomaly detection within our transmission and distribution infrastructure, right? Can you, you know, we know you guys are doing it in this way around spend. Can you help us with this other piece? And so a lot of what ignites um, both enhancements to products as well as new products and the combination with new data sets is really our customers. And that, and that continual, you know, focus around the customer uh, is is one that's, you know, certainly not easy to do, right? There can be a lot of noise within the marketplace, but we have a, a tight enough industry focus where what's reflected, you know, the, the problems that uh, one large electric utility, um, you know, in the Southeast is having is is not dissimilar from what another <laughs> in, in, you know, in the, in the Southwest is having. And so, you know, we're very easily then in a position to be able to put uh, enhancements in and make these connections that, you know, our entire customer base benefits from. Uh, and so that was really, you know, that ultimately in my time here, that is where I've really seen the genesis. And a lot of that has to do with the, just the phenomenal product owners that we have. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, before we started, you know, we, we follow agile, the agile methodology and the scrum, um, methodology, um, as a way to take action around that, which really mandates that the product owner is the funnel for all the stakeholders. I'm a stakeholder, <laughs> internal stakeholder, right? Our customers are stakeholders. And so as a result of that, um, you know, a lot of the, the genesis of, um, you know, where we, you know, where we invest our uh, development time uh, and our, in the time of our analysts really is driven by where our customers are asking the questions and the problems that they're attempting to solve. And, you know, in some of this, you know, if you take a look at, uh, at, you know, sourcing intelligence and, you know, what I talked about in terms of the platform bringing, you know, vendors and suppliers to, together with, uh, together with our customers who are the buyers, that's a natural interaction, right? That's just, that's simply a network effect and, you know, a natural, sort of a natural extension of, Hey, I negotiated this contract. You know, we've got to get the, these pieces done. But a lot of the newer stuff that we're seeing now really has to do with, you know, really fundamental questions that our customers are asking about the data they have, uh, and they realize that the large ERPs and the large systems that they that they've got aren't able to get those answers out quickly enough for them, or at all, right? Because again, there is this 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 requirement really to be able to go through a cleansing and enriching process that goes beyond the walls of their organization, right? You need to be able to, to, to have models that have been trained across data sets that represent the industry, not just um, the one organization. So Rob, I was curious um, as the CTO of power advocate and so much technology, you guys are working on so much technology. So what are the trends that you're seeing or what are you most excited about from like a technology perspective that, is giving you an advantage? Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting question to ask because there, there, there are a few. Um, you know, it's it's often hard not to 
you know, take that step back, right? You're here every day. You're with the teams. I'm, you know, I, I feel very proud to be close to the, to the development teams and, and, you know, operationally to, in the work that we're doing. Um, because, you know, there's always opportunities for technology, uh, to improve that. Same with our, um, same with our customers. But, you know, from my perspective, what's really interesting is the fact that, it really, at the end of the day, really is all about the data, right? And, and I've heard, you know, your guests from previous podcasts come on and, and, and talk about this. Um, you know, algorithms ultimately today, you know, they're a commodity. They really are. And so it's really less about that. Um, you know, supervised uh, learning approaches, you know, are, you know, are well, are well documented. Again, execution matters, of course. Um, but without having a focus on a way in which to put a pipeline together that allows us to really bring together the expertise of the analyst with the um, with the predictions uh, of the models that have been trained um, ultimately gets us nowhere, right? So that's that's where we excel, uh, and so the opportunities ultimately for us as we look forward and what gets gets me really excited. Um, and jumping out of bed in the morning to catch the train is this opportunity to bring in more and more data sets. And so when you're actually able to, with, with some real clarity and confidence, be able to say that it makes a lot more sense, uh, to build this transmission system out going in this direction over this geography because we have subsurface information and we have geological information that we can tie together with the actual costs that it takes to actually go and build this thing out because we've known that for years, you now suddenly have a much uh, clearer picture and a, and a much uh, more robust model against which uh, to, really, to, to really test out these hypotheses and say, you know, what if we decided to go in this direction? What would it look like? Um, yeah. I, I got to ask though, Rob, the, the concept there that you just outlined was we have, we have one of the key, it sounds like values that your organization is able to, um, execute against is this concept of, I have large amounts of, you know, one type of data that you might call this big data that has, um, you know, a variety of forms and, and structures and schemas and, and so on. And then you have this transactional information that's, as you said, there's kind of two product families. You've got more of these big data uh, analytical driven platforms along with the transactional, but it's that marrying of the two that's so critical. And so I, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what are some of the actual underlying frameworks or technologies that have allowed your team to deal with growing data sets of both kinds. And at, at some point in the future that you've, you know, you're, you're realizing today, like how are you coalescing those two environments to give your, you know, your teams the ability to develop these interesting use cases and models? Yeah. So what it, you know, ultimately what it, what it comes down to is in, in this, I you know, I have to say, in a lot of ways, is a bet. So, you know, traditionally, you know, we've we've had the data, you know, in in basically in one location, right? So it's been, you know, you you know, we talk a lot about data warehousing and data lakes, and you know, I, 
I was kidding with my with my neighbor the other day that there would be data locks, as in Loch Ness monster data locks. You know, soon enough. Um, you know, so lots you heard of it be, here first. Data yeah. locks. <laughs> They're <laughs> data coming. Be next, uh, uh, which is good because I absolutely hate data lakes. So yeah, uh, I would take right. anything other yeah. than data all, lake, all, no. all like, of this. Why case. are we not talking about data oceans or something? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's just a just a drop of the ocean. Yeah. So what it what it really comes down to it's it's interesting to me is. You know, the, the, the very first step, and our, you know, our chief data scientist will be the first to say this, the first step is not, you know, what great nifty cool algorithm you've come up with, you know, to make, to make some prediction. It's, do you understand the data? <laughs> do you understand what it is that you're looking at and the relation, uh, shifts between that, between those data sets? That's, that's fundamental, right? That's absolutely critical. And so, you know, in the past, we've, you know, we've been a bit spoiled. We've, we've, we've ultimately, we've had it in the same place. It's, it's, it's on the same platform. So we can make these associations rather quickly. It doesn't, it doesn't take any sort of special sauce um, from a technology perspective. Yes, you know, we've got Spark and yes, we, you know, you know, we're looking at uh, 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 columnar data sets, uh, uh, you know, um, data sources. But at the end of the day, you, if you're not making sense of the data itself, right, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, you can be throwing as much as you want, um, uh, you know, into Hadoop. Uh, if the if the questions you're asking and the answers you're, you're, you think you're getting back um, are in doubt because the information wasn't related correctly um, uh, or the data isn't clean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. So the the focus, you know, quite honestly, um, has been driving out a lot of uh, some of the manual processes, especially around the, um, you know, some of the first steps around the cleansing piece and, and making sure that those are, you know, really formalized. And then, you know, having the always having the expert in the loop um, uh, for that final piece where, you know the the predictions are gonna are gonna tell you one thing, um, but it's pretty clear uh, to an analyst who has been doing this for you know five ten years um, that this information really is related, uh, you know, to a well pad and not to what the uh, what the algorithm you know predicted with a bit of confidence, maybe a bit less confidence than its other predictions where it should have gone. Yeah. So I was on that note though. Can you? Can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of security for your platform? Like, I, I feel like we don't talk about it enough and, and everyone has their own sort of like opinions about it. I always have this like fear of, you know, the importance of securing even your algorithms, your data, especially when we talk about data have so much value. Can, can we just talk a little bit about how you see security and the impact that it has for your, you know, just your day-to-day -day life, but for the platform? Uh, it's, uh, it's critical. It's, uh, we, we we can't be in business without <laughs> without a focus on um, around security. Uh, you know, I know we were we were chatting, uh, Aaron, when um, you know when when the topic of security came up uh, the last time, and uh, you know it, it often feels like every every topic in security has been covered <laughs> at one point or another. Um, the interesting thing when it comes to the the platform and this in uh, this data that we are really the custodians for, it's really about um, having the controls in place uh, to ensure that it remains confidential. Um, you know, one thing I should point out is we, you know, we don't deal 
and personally identifiable information, at least as it's defined in North America now. You know, GDPR is a whole other <laughs> whole, whole ball of wax because it's business oh, yeah. contact information. But um, even, even that aside, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, we couldn't do what we do um, if we didn't have the trust of our customers. Uh, and, you know, if... Um, you know, very large, you know, vendors, and you can, you know, think of the vendors that are in this space, uh, uh, you know, had for a moment, um, uh, a fear that, you know, that, that pricing information would somehow get leaked out. Uh, and so, you know, security is, 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 you know, the first thing that we think about in the morning and it's the last thing <laughs> that we think about at night. Um, you know, it's really interesting, you know, you sit in the, uh, uh, the sprint reviews, um, you know, and every two weeks, you know, the application uh, development teams go over the work that they've that they've produced, and every single um, every single part of the software development lifecycle, you know, has baked within it um, and has for many years. You know, before it was, you know, the you know the mandated thing to do. Um, I dare say the cool thing to do. I don't know if anyone thought it was cool, but the you know the the touch points that uh, cover security code reviews. Um, and in fact, every single one of our sprints, you know, has, you know, a story that's set aside, although it's done in every single uh, story that we do in terms of a task, you know, there is a separate story that's set aside around security code reviews. And so, you know, it's really, it's it's been built into our DNA. It's built into, uh, you know, the work that our software developers do. Um, and certainly, you know, from, you know, both, you know, from a from a third party audit perspective, um, you know, we've been in this business long enough to know, you know, that you've got to have folks from the outside um, attempting to, uh, you know, essentially, you know, come in and you know be the be the gray hats and, you know, expose and and help to um, elucidate those areas where you, attention needs to be had. And so, you know, it's been that, you know, kind of that, that ongoing attitude around, you know, not just about having, you know, the policies and procedures in place. Of course, those are important and the education, which is extremely important. Um, but having it, you know, done at a level, you know, where, you know, the folks that, you know, have the most impact, um, you know, those that are either interacting with the data or those that are interacting with the, the, um, the software that's uh, being created through which this data is being either presented or, or run through, um, have that same level of awareness. And, you know, I'm really proud of the fact uh, that that level of awareness is, is at a heightened state and has been. It, it, it was when I came in here um, as CTO, which, uh, which, which makes things easier. Of course, it's, it's an ongoing thing, right? It, this is, it just never ends. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's huge. And I certainly appreciate that. So I, it was interesting, though. So would you say, like, on, from the entire, like, organization, are there more, uh, like, software developers or more data scientists? Or what do you think is, like, the most important of those two, like, organizations is the most important? part of what you guys are doing? <laughs> It'd be a total cop-out to say both, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd call you on it. Yeah, yeah. Good. I'm glad you would. So, the, you know, the interesting the interesting thing about this is we have, um, we have a fairly sizable team of software developers. Um, we've been uh, working on enhancing uh, the, the platform and the products within the platform uh, continuously, which is... Fantastic, by the way, as someone coming in as a CTO, because this this 
you know, overwhelming amount of tech debt that could be sitting there if someone just built something and threw it on a shelf. You talk yeah, about security, absolutely. right? Yeah. You know, these things are constantly being addressed um, because enhancements uh, are, are constantly being done and, and technology is changing. So, you know, you talk about, um, you know, just the, the platform itself, you know, a lot of the front end now is being, is, is being uh, written in React. Um, it's, you know, it's much more responsive, uh, you know, front end user interface, you know, so as a, as a result, a lot of that uh, work that's going on, you know, clearly requires, um, you know, scrum teams to be able to execute against that. On the data science side, what's interesting uh, is it's, it's actually a smaller team. And, um, you know, our, our chief data scientist, uh, who hopefully uh, may or may not hear this podcast, has <laughs> actually advocated uh, for that. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it's not so much about, you know, pumping out a lot of code. It's really about having folks that are uh, really focused on making sure that the data is clean, that it's rationalized, um, and that it's going through predictable pipelines. And so for that sort of work to get done, you know, we have a lot of tooling in place that allows that to happen. Uh, and so our data scientists, as, as a result, can focus on you know, what matters, which is really around the data engineering, data analysis, um, and the application and, and the training of the, uh, of the models, uh, rather than a lot of the software that has to go around it. Um, yeah. So you your team's clearly using, uh, modern agile methodologies for the software development side, as it sounds like, and it sounds like you've got a, a great history and, and scrums are cr incredibly important. Are you seeing the, the, the processes and the um, the care for the process and that constant integration. Are you seeing those um, those yeah again those best practices? Are you seeing those creep into the data science team? Like, is the data science team operating in an agile fashion? Are they using those modern kind of ops uh, capabilities? You know, so they do. So you know, a lot of. You know, one thing I guess I would I would take a step back and, and caution a, a lot of folks. You know, they 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 hear agile, they hear Scrum, they immediately think about the tools, right? They jump to the tool sets, and um, and not you know not without reason, right? Because some of these things do require some appropriate tooling to be in place. But the fact of the matter is, it's really about it's about a mindset. It's about how you how you organize and describe. Uh, the the stories the chunks of work um, that you're going to take on, um, and in the manner in which you're going to deliver it. So you know what are what are you ultimately being measured on? You're being measured on quality code delivered, right? That's the you know the value to our customers is 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 ultimately translatable and you know the business value in quality code delivered. So when you take a look at it from a data science perspective. That doesn't change, right? That you're you're in a position where um, what you're producing and the models that you're producing are, are being measured against the same against that same metric, right? Which is which is value to our customers and value to the business. So the so the, those general principles around you know around transparency, um, uh, communication, and this willingness to be introspective to really take a look at you know, what we did yesterday, does it really apply today? And if the answer, you know, if the answer is, well, it's because we've always done it that way, well, then that's the worst answer you could possibly give. You're doing it wrong. Um, we, need to, we need to relook at how we do this. Um, and, 
you know, and it's 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 one of those um, it's one of those things that that ultimately you know represents itself in the culture, right? And and is um, you know is is really shepherded and, and guided by our scrum masters. And so we you know you talk about you know the the, the DevOps tooling. For me, that's the fun piece, right? A technologist, of course, you know, who doesn't love, you know, jumping into, um, you know, Docker and figuring out, uh, you know, container orchestration and gosh, can't we have, you know, a better, uh, you know, development environment if we were using Vagrant here and Docker over here. But at the end of the day, you know, all of these things really are here to support process and people. <laughs> and, and if those aren't working, right, if the transparency is not there, if the communication isn't there, um, then all the tools in the world are not going to help you. <laughs> it's, yeah, right. you're, you're still not going to get uh, to the to the place where we need to be, um, which is which is very high quality um, delivery, be it models or code. Yeah, but on that note, so you know, I always hope that when you know the listeners are listening to the podcast, and especially someone who's a CTO of, of this organization want to talk about some of the, like the negative things or like, what are some of the technology like stumbling blocks or what are the things that you kind of like wish that you knew um, that you can certainly share with the audience that I think would be like a huge, huge asset. Yeah. I think, you know, I think particularly early on there was this uh, there was this belief that, you know, that there would be, you know, one algorithm or, or, or one set of algorithms that would, that would really rule them all. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that that's not the case. Um, uh, and, you know, and I, and I don't think this is, this is anything earth shattering, right? You know, lots of folks have, have discovered this, to, you know, to be the case. And, um, you know, our, you know, our, again, our, our, our chief data scientist will be the first to say, you know, if you can't, you know, if you can't show me, you know, a correlation through linear regression or through logic, then, you know, then go back right to the data because <laughs> there's something you know there's something inherently wrong with with what you're with what you're showing off and so you know I think that there was there was certainly a phase in a time where particularly you know um, very deep into the hype cycle where it was really about well you know these folks have got to be um, you know they've got to be the best and brightest right out of school you know. Um, both um, in terms of, you know, software development acumen, as well as, you know, a mathematical background, a back background in mathematics and statistics. Um, and although I, I don't think that's entirely untrue, I think that having experience, right, and having experience and, and, and being willing to sit down and understand the data in the business is the piece then that you miss, right? Because you've got these folks that are um, generally inexperienced in that. Um, in that area. And so what you end up with are, um, are approaches and solutions that are looking for a problem to solve rather than, you know, ones that are, in fact, what our customers are, are you know, are asking us to help solve. Um, and I think that that, you know, you know, over time was, was the one thing that, you know, we really had to work through was, um, you know, it wasn't about the fact that, you know, hey, they were using Python over here, but you know the the software developers wanted to use Scala and, and Java. It had it really had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the approach that was being used, um, and in some cases, the lack of discipline around just you know common software engineering principles that we all you know sort of understand. And um, in in some cases, you know, I, I think you know 
assume are in place, like, you know, such as continuous integration and now, you know, continuous deployment and continuous delivery, that, you know, for someone that doesn't necessarily have that background, nor having a background in really understanding the data that they're attempting to apply these algorithms to, to create a model, you know, leads ultimately to uh, products that just don't make sense, right? Um, and solutions that don't make sense. And so what you'd, you know, what we'd often find, um, again, being being uh, uh, organized around Scrum and Agile is, you know, the the predictions and the, and the confidence levels um, and the measures that were used would change every two weeks, <laughs> right? Because we were overfitting, right? We were, we were overfitting constantly. Um, uh, and then, you know, then our, you know, our chief data scientist came in and he said, look, this, this is the reason why, <laughs> this is why you guys are experiencing this is because they're, you know, this is, this is not something that you, um, that you can simply Google, um, and, and, and come up with a quick snippet from Stack Overflow, right? This is, there, there are methodologies that exist that are taught that are well, well proven, um, you know, out there in other industries that, that are applicable here, applicable, you know, regardless. Um, and so, you know, from a lessons learned perspective, it, it ultimately has been a lot less about the technology and, and much more about the, the, the processes and, and also the people, you know, there's, there's just, I think there's a natural uh, maturation process that organizations go through um, as they adopt this technology and as they, they figure out, you know, where it works and where it doesn't work. And the great thing about Scrum is there's, there's a level of transparency that's built into the system where it's evident to everyone. <laughs> right? that's, so you, oh, that's excellent. Yeah. yeah one of the things I, I, one of the things I love about your comment there was uh, it, it is encouraging to me that that you don't have to be a you know a PhD in in data science to come out and be relevant and useful in these projects. And I've always said that that experience is a powerful tool, right? And as we've seen, the tools are evolving and changing rapidly, but the people in the process have to mature. And it sounds like Power Advocate has a uh, has matured quite well there over the last seventeen years in developing the business model, which I think is. Is pretty stunning. I, I took away from this that you know some some great advice. I think that I heard summary wise is you know find business use cases that really solve customer challenges first and focus your energies there and continuously integrate that into your thought and process. And then you know building great products with great security at the core is incredibly important. So I think those are great takeaways. And I think the the way that Power Advocates started and your genesis and how you've evolved over time to to really solve some very specific, again, customer-driven use cases, I think is just stunning. So I think it's probably time we, uh, we shift gears here and we get a bit personal. You all should definitely check out Strata Data Conference happening September 11th through 13th in New York City. At this conference, you'll learn how data is driving innovation and transforming businesses. You'll hear from top minds in technology and leading companies like Airbnb, Google, WeWork, and Uber. You'll also network with thousands at the largest gathering of technologists and business leaders working with data. Save 20% with our passcode, PCBeard, at checkout. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. 
Well, so the first question that I always think is so interesting uh, is, so what year do you think that Skynet will go online? What year do I think Skynet? So I just finished watching Terminators 1 and 2. Uh, I don't think Skynet's going to go online See? until... Yes. That's what I said. Oh, oh until... until Damn it. Yeah. I, well, I don't... Uh, uh, honestly, <laughs> never. Never. Can I change my answer to never? <laughs> uh, I, I hope so. I mean, I think we've we've laughed like so many naysayers, you know, they think it's online already. Yeah. Like it's going to get us. But I think the people in the know are kind of like, nah, it's not coming. <laughs> yeah. G- given. G- <laughs> g- yeah. If anything, if it, if it were to go online, there'd be someone who like walked through the back of the data center, tripped over a power cord and would come offline immediately. We would never oh even notice. So. <laughs> you know, it, it just, there's so many bigger problems for us to. <laughs> See? <laughs> to oh. solve before we get there. So I always say yeah, with technology, if it's if it's further than five years out, it might as well be 30, 40, 50, never. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go with never. All That's right. Great. I like that. That's awesome. And I love the explanation. That's perfect. I was just was like never because it scares me too much. So no, and I don't think we have the – anyways, it's not about me. So uh, what was the last great book that you read? Ooh, the last great book that I read, uh, Innovator's Dilemma. Ah, I have that one. I'm so excited. Haven't got to it yet. Yeah. Great, great book. Yeah. Highly recommended. I'll add it to my pile. Um, so what's the genre of music that you're currently rocking to? Uh, you know, I uh, Black Sabbath. <laughs> oh, dude. It is. What wow. is it? It, it is. It is a hair nation. Yeah. Last road trip. Oh. It was. Yeah, it was all Black Sabbath and Megadeth. Oh, that is incredible. Like I, you would not believe how many of your fellow uh, CTO level and like chief data scientists are literally in your musical wheelhouse. It is hilarious. <laughs> I'm not hardcore enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that's a good thing. I, maybe there needs to be a bit more diversity in the, <laughs> in I think the ranks. It's a, but yeah. I think it's systemic of the, the kind of person that gets there. It's got to go hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be an interesting study to see about that. Um, so what's a piece of technology that's making life worse? A piece of technology that's making life worse. Boy, as a CTO, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you at this point, and this is, a, this is an area that's been commoditized to the nth degree, um, but web conferencing software is just, it, it just never gets good. <laughs> yeah. How is that possible? Like I, I, you, we're on like our fourth platform now. Yeah. And it's still like, you're like, it's, it's getting there, but it's. We, we've, we've got five of them. No one likes any of them. Wow. Everyone's, you know, no one's, no one's ever satisfied with it. And I always feel like it's one of those, you can't hear the person on the other end. You can't see them. They break out. They get garbled. It's, yeah. I can't share my desktop. Right. It's, it's constant. <laughs> can't record it's constant. the call. Yeah. It's yeah. at least, it, it's at least a quarter of a meeting spent just trying to talk to one another. That makes me think of that. Did y'all, have y'all seen that YouTube video, the conference call in real yes. life? Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So, me. But this is my point about like the first question about what your Skynet will go on. You can't even get people to hit the mute button. Like yeah. it's still. Tell <laughs> right. me when you're on a conference call that no one has said, "Can you please mute your line if you're not talking?" Uh, like we can't even do that correctly. So, <laughs> I have no faith in Skynet. Yeah, th- this is why I feel like we're going. If that's one area, and again, it's been around forever, right? This is it's so commoditized, but you know, again, it's yeah, very very dissatisfied with it. <laughs> It's so annoying. Uh, so what is your biggest money pit right now? Uh, 
in personally my house personally uh, yeah <laughs> my house for sure yeah because you said your uh your your house is uh it's not in boston proper you're out in the countryside right uh i am out in the countryside uh we have a barn um yeah we have a what's supposed to was supposed to be a place for sheep to hang out but we don't have sheep anymore <laughs> um then we have we've had all different kinds of animals on the property uh so yeah absolutely my house without question that's awesome. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> are you Everybody, going? Everybody's any, got one. <laughs> no, That's right. I know. I was just I was complaining about mine earlier. So, um, are you going anywhere interesting soon? No, actually, I don't uh, have any plans. We were we were thinking about the Azores, actually. Yes. So if just we thinking about that, yeah, if we can if we can close on that and, and close on a date that works for my wife and I, which we're hoping to do soon. That would be the place. I'll make a recommendation. If you haven't been to uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, it's pretty great. I'm here now. <laughs> I'm actually talking to you. I don't think I told you that up front. That no, you didn't. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm in another hemisphere from you. <laughs> that's fantastic. That That's another one to put on the list. Beautiful yeah. city. Just make sure you go at the right time, right? Aren't you a little chilly right yeah, now? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cold. I'm not going to lie. You wouldn't be going to any beaches or riding around on the uh, the bus uh, on the roof, you know, the sightseeing thing. Yeah. We almost froze to death. <laughs> <laughs> Good place to go in the winter yeah. Uh, yeah. here in North America. Exactly. So the last question is, what show are you binging on right now? Uh, let's see. We just... Boy, this is going to really reveal a lot. Uh, we we just watched for the third time Newsroom. Oh, really? HBO. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin, kind of his Sports Center meets uh, West Wing. Yep. So that I will say could have gone a lot of directions. And when you said <laughs> revealing, I thought, well, oh, we're about to get some pretty touchy here. No, that was that was not as no 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 as just, revealing as I kind of hoped. <laughs> no no, just more 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 political more more political bias, I suppose. Than anything. Yeah, yeah, totally good. That's awesome. Well, Rob, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us about Power Advocate in your platform. Like Corey said, just so many like great things that you brought up that I was like trying to write them all down um, with my chicken scratch. I do appreciate the importance that you have the quality code and obviously the security and that that's, that's essential and hopefully something, the drum that we keep needing to beat. So thank you so much for your time and everything. And we really appreciate it. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you like big data and you like to learn. Well, we do too. And that's why we've partnered with O'Reilly Media. As a community partner for their incredible strata data and artificial intelligence conferences that are taking place around the world. If you would like a 20% discount on these conferences, simply use the promo code PCBEARD at checkout, or you can click the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. 